Holy cow, these guys are maniacal. Welcome to another episode of Mets Maniacs. They're maniacal. Ty is still out, but don't worry, we have special guest Josh Grossman filling in for him today. We talk about the Orioles series, we touch on the DeGrom injury, the Means versus Stroman start, and the Luis Rojas decision to pull Marcus Stroman and put in uh, Aaron Loop. We talk about Harvey Day, Game 2, and the Bats and the Taiwan Walker start. And then we talk about the upcoming series against the Rays and our concerns about James McCann. If you don't follow us on Twitter, please follow us at, at MetsManiacsPod. Again, that's at MetsManiacsPod. We love to interact with our fans. On Instagram at MetsManiacs underscore. Again, that's at MetsManiacs underscore. And at Metsmerize. If you find us at Metsmerize, make sure to check out all the content Metsmerize has to offer. There's some very talented writers there who know what they're talking about about the Mets. And if you want more Mets content, definitely go there. And as always, let's go Mets. And we're back with another episode of the Mets Maniacs podcast. It's been a crazy, crazy couple of days for the Mets. Uh, we're going to get started right in real quick. I've got a special guest, Josh Grossman, with me. And uh, let's get right started into Monday. Monday, the Mets had an off day coming off a nice three-game sweep of the Diamondbacks. But there was still news to be had as Jacob deGrom hits the IL. I think a move a lot of people were expecting. I mentioned it on the podcast prior that that's what I was expecting. Uh, and retroactively, uh, back I think he could make his first start on May 21st, so he could technically only miss just one start, and they bring up Sean Reed Foley. Josh, what do you think about this, and do you agree with the move to put him on the IL, although it doesn't seem like a serious injury? Well, he kind of goes through this tightness every May. It's almost a habit of his for the last two or three seasons, and you got to be cautious. You need to grow off the, the home stretch, and if you're going to miss any stretch – Missing the Diamondbacks in the Orioles series is kind of fantastic, and if he could slot right back in against the Braves, I don't think he can. I don't think I don't believe he'll miss a beat. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, and I also think the fact that he'll miss a couple of games early on now when the bullpen's pitching really well, when Stroman, when Taiwan Walker just pitched really two good starts. So the bullpen's kind of fresh. We're coming off two uh, off days. We have another off day next week. So he's not missing a ton of games from that standpoint. And when, by the time he comes back, the bullpen's beat up. The bullpen's pitched a lot of innings. It's him coming back. Then it's Carlos Carrasco coming back. It's Seth Lugo. It's Noah Syndergaard. It's all, they're all coming back toward, within like a two or three week period of each other, which I think is going to alleviate some innings from the overall team. And the Mets have just been playing well lately. So if we kind of can put together games like we did in that Diamondback series where it's bullpen games that kind of are low scoring and the offense is the one who helps us late in the games, I think it's definitely manageable. And the Rays aren't hitting the shit out of the ball this year. They're not – they're not blowing anybody away offensively. Their their average is actually, I think, the second worst in the AL. So it's nothing that like, the Mets can't overcome. It's nothing that their bullpen can't pitch through. But it is a little bit concerning, like you said. It is pattern though. So we hope that he's been successful the last four years when this pattern's happened. Let's hope that the same thing happens again this year. So going on to Tuesday, we have the uh, first game of the Orioles set. And this is John Means versus Marcus Stroman. And this is John Means off a no-hitter. Uh, and he was rude, rudely welcomed. First batter of the game was Jeff McNeil, and McNeil ends that nine innings hitless streak on the on in the first at bat. Hits a single to center. 
Uh, it's kind of a pitcher's duel. Really quick game in the first five or six innings. Not much went on. Uh, nobody scored any runs. And then the bottom of the seventh happens, and Marcus Stroman gets in a little bit of trouble early, gives up two early singles. And uh, like an infield single or, or infield fielder's choice leaves runners in second and third with one out with the eighth hitter, Pedro Severino, coming up. And this is where the kind of chess match started to happen between uh, the Orioles manager and Luis Rojas. And I know a lot of fans this year, when they hear chess match with Luis Rojas, feel like he's overmatched himself. And it was definitely an interesting strategy. So what they did was they intentionally walked Severino to load the bases to force John Means to the plate. Uh, and Means at this point had a pitch count around 70. He was really efficient in this game and had only went six innings, again, with no runs. Uh, the... Orioles elect to pinch hit for him with DJ Stewart initially, a lefty batter. So Luis Rojas takes Stroman out of the game, a decision Marcus didn't like at the time. Uh, it was kind of pouting around the dugout and brings in Aaron Loop. And, the, and shortly after bringing in the lefty Aaron Loop, uh, <clears throat> the Orioles manager brings in Pat Vlake, a righty batter, to kind of get the matchup that he wants. And lo and behold, first pitch of the at-bat, Vlake who drives one to deep right. Conforto makes the catch, but it's a sack fly. And... Uh, is the first run of the ball game. The Mets do get out of it without giving up any more. But Josh, what do you think of that Luis Rojas decision? And would you what would you have changed in hindsight had you had you been the manager? Look, I would have preferred Stroman against a righty, against a lefty, rather than Loop against a righty. Even though Loop's been fantastic this year, Loop against a lefty is probably my most confident matchup out of the bullpen. But I honestly don't think Rojas looked ahead. He thought he planned it out right. And then in hindsight, obviously, we would rather have had Stroman pitch against a lefty than Loop against a righty. But Loop did manage to only give up one run that inning, and you have to take that almost as a win. Yeah, I agree with you. The uh, interesting part about that, though, is DJ Stewart came up as the pinch hitter, and Stewart is – missed a lot of games actually uh, right before this series with a hamstring injury and Marcus Stroman, yes. obviously a ground ball pitcher. I think any ground ball in the infield would have surely been a double play, but uh, maybe Luis Rojas was afraid of a sack fly in that righty lefty matchup and didn't think about the possibility that they just waste DJ Stewart off the bench and pinch hit for him uh, like the double pinch hit effort. But that's what winds up happening. Uh, again, one, nothing. Then, then we go to the uh, top of the eighth inning, and that's a, this is a crazy uh, inning as well. Trevor May comes in, and May's been super, super solid this year. Minus that first game against Philadelphia, he's been really solid the rest of the way. And first batter, uh, first batter hits a cr- crushes a ball at the center, and Albert Almore makes a hell of an effort out of play. Actually catches the ball, and then without with no regard for his own health, runs into the wall and drops it, uh, and it turns out to be a triple. So it's a leadoff triple for uh, the Orioles. May strikes out the next two, and then Freddie Galvis has a crazy uh, two-out bunt down the third baseline where Jonathan VR wasn't really playing the bunt because I don't know why, why you would with two outs. And uh, Galvis beats it out, and it becomes a 2 nothing game. And at this point, a 2 nothing game in the eighth inning where the Mets haven't really put anything together kind of felt insurmountable to me. I thought this game was kind of over. Uh, I don't know. Do you, you have any thoughts about that inning, about the Albert Amora effort? It was amazing, it's fantastic. It, what, the last time I saw a center fielder make one of those plays was that one Juan Lagares here that we thought he covered everything. And Almora made a fantastic effort. And Trevor May, he's the most confident I am of anyone in the bullpen. Kind of has it all going on. And then he, won't, he almost 
DeGrom asked almost got out of a jam, man on third, two outs, and Freddie Galvis. Felt like all the ex-Phillies, Galvis and Franco, I'm always scared when they're going to come up. I feel like they only hit against us, but that effort was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. They do only hit against us. Uh, going to the bottom of the eighth, though, and the Mets do put a little a little something together. You have Conforto RBI single to cut the lead in, lead in half, but then kind of unfortunate with runners on first and second and one out, Pete grounds into an inning-ending double play. It was an inning I thought the Mets definitely could have gotten more out of uh, offensively, definitely. And obviously, if Pete just puts that ball in the air somewhere, we have uh, – we have Tim Pilar, who's been our best hitter with runners in scoring position this season, up next, and who knows what could happen there. Going to the top of the ninth, it was pretty quiet there. Familia, again, pitched well. Uh, did give up a walk and a hit, but Familia's been super solid. I think a lot, to the, to the surprise of many fans, pitched to a .84 ERA, despite his whip almost being like one and a half or 1.6. 1. Uh, so he's kind of pitching himself into trouble, but pitching himself out of it as well, which is something that Familia hasn't really been able to do, especially – within the last two or three years with the Mets, uh, ever since the second stint began, it was Familia would get into trouble and Familia couldn't bail himself out. And all of a sudden, uh, start the bottom of the eighth turned into a four-run inning and you had to get a new pitcher. Uh, so I, I guess good on him. Then we go to the bottom of the ninth, and this is, this is where the fun starts to happen. Uh, it starts with a Kevin Pillar single and then a Jonathan VR single. Uh, and then comes James McCann. And McCann's had a really brutal year at the plate. Uh, if it wasn't for Francisco Lindor's early struggles, I think there would be a lot more stress on McCann to kind of be producing. He's batting 200 this year, and he's been a double play machine. So the only good part about this at bat was it didn't end in a double play. It ended in a strikeout. Uh, then you have Dom Smith, who came in for Albert Amora, single homer on. And then uh, Patrick Mazika. I, let's talk about that Dom Smith single real quick. So Dom Smith singles in a run. Pilar scores from second, and the ball gets a little bit away from Pedro Severino, the catcher, and VR just kind of continuing his aggressive base running uh, from the season, from that Philly series, from pretty much the entire year. It's speed and aggressiveness on the bases the Mets haven't had since, like, prime Jose Reyes. Uh, takes third base. The next bat, batters, Patrick Mazika, grounds it to Mountcastle at first, I know it might have been Mancini at first, and he throws home. And uh, VR again, kind of touching on that aggressive base running again, scores uh, the game-winning run. So, what do you what, what's your take on the bottom of the ninth? Would you have had McCann bunt? I know we have an analytics friend who claims that bunting is the worst thing you could do in baseball. But what what would you have done? Well, when you have man on first with less than two outs, I have just the worst mindset for McCann right now. Even when Lindor was struggling, I always felt like it was that next step bat. He was going to do something good. I just had that feeling. And McCann, I'm, I'm genuinely worried that we might have missed on him. He just he just grounds the ball. And I, striking out for what he could have done was maybe the best-case scenario. But that Dom Smith single, if they're not in no doubles defense, I don't think that falls. And I feel like that's a win that oh, I feel like in prior years, we always caught that loss when we were playing too far behind and hit that blue singer because he hit that single right off the end of the bat. It fell pretty fast, but then, then we had some Masika magic to finish off the game. Well, especially the game, I feel like we lose that game when the Kevin Pillar thing happens where he hits a home run and they call it foul 
after he's finished crossing the bases. That's typically the game the Mets lose, where they had they were so high energy and the energy kind of gets sucked out of the building. But uh, got on first, VR single as well. So uh, huge Mets win kind of extends the streak at that point to six. We're going to go on to Wednesday now, where it was the uh, Matt Harvey return. And uh, being a Mets fan a long time, Matt Harvey obviously means a lot to us. Uh, I like to myself be optimistic about him and imagine the good times as opposed to the bad. But uh, what what are some of your favorite Matt Harvey memories, Josh? One, I only have good memories of Matt Harvey. He laid it all out for us. I would say my two favorite memories of Matt Harvey was I was at the game. It was Harvey versus Strasburg. And all the Met fans just kept on chanting was Harvey's better to Strasburg. And it was just fantastic. And then my second favorite one was his start against the White Sox, which and DeGrom's had some dominant starts. That was the most dominant. Start. That was even more dominant. And I was at the Johan Santana no hitter. That was the most dominant I've ever seen a Mets catcher. I that was the bloody nose game, right? Yes. And that was the only hit was an infield single. And he was just, there's so many what ifs, but I always, I only have fond feelings to Matt Harvey. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, Matt Harvey was a huge public figure and he had a very, very, uh, quick decline from the Mets. He went from literally pitching uh, game five of the World Series, asking to go to the ninth, to getting thoracic outlet surgery and like never being the same again. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's pitched the most innings ever for pitchers coming off the season of Tommy John. He w- wanted the ball no matter what. He, he reminded me very much of Trevor Bauer in that sense, where Bauer, I don't, if you remember last year when they were in the playoffs against the Braves, Bauer kind of, he, he would have won into extra innings had, uh, his manager allowed it. And that was Harvey to me. Harvey wanted the ball in every big situation. And like, I it felt, you always felt confident in him. Uh, but alas, this is a much different Matt Harvey on the uh, current Baltimore Orioles. I'm glad he found his way back into the league, but uh, the Mets roughed him up early and they roughed him up often. The final stat line was four and a thirds, giving up seven earned runs. Uh, the Mets just came to hit and they did it without the uh, long ball as well, uh, which I think was pretty impressive. Do you have any uh, takeaway about the Mets' offense in this uh, game two of the Orioles series? Well, I just think that Conforto and Dom Smith and Dorr all turning the corner. I mean, I think that Conforto, even though he went maybe one for four on the day, he was hitting the ball hard every at bat. And yet it's been he's been probably, besides Pilar, best hitter with Mars in scoring position. Mm-hmm. And Dom, Dom Smith, he's not a 220 hitter. I'm not worried. And it's great to see him putting the ball in play, hitting the ball hard, going the opposite way for that runner's scoring position hit. And I think the, the Mets bats for – if you told me that – does anyone besides Pete Alonso have three home runs? Uh, I think uh, – I wouldn't think so. And no, then, McNeil does. McNeil has three. Okay. And then we without the long ball, it's fantastic to see the ball put in play. And unfortunately for Matt Harvey, he's a slow pitching righty. That's kind of our bread and butter. It's the exact opposite. What John means is the slow pitching lefty just kind of has been killing us. And the lefty pitchers have been giving us trouble for the last few years, but the righty pitchers with all of our lefty heavy lineup, I feel good. And the bats look like they're turning the corner. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Dom Smith went three for four. Conforto looks good. I think a main part of this game too is the defense. There's some hell of defensive plays. Uh, starting with the second batter of the game, where Kevin Pillar kind of runs one down on the wall, almost collides with Dom Smith. Thank God avoids that. We can't we can't really put up with any more injuries. Uh, then you have the Conforto diving play in right. You had a Jonathan VR 
With runners from second and third, I believe, uh, Jonathan Villar, really nice backhand play to keep everybody there, throw the runner out at first. Jose Peraza, who's in for uh, Jeff McNeil, who looks like McNeil got cramps in game one. Uh, Looks like he should be available. It doesn't look like he'll be going to the IL. Peraza played really well. If needed, he was available to pinch hit in that game. Yeah, so it looks like he'll be good to go. Uh, but yeah, really solid effort. And I think it would be we'd be remiss to talk about this game without bringing up uh, Taiwan Walker, who's just been absolutely believable. God sent to this team with a lot of uh, pitching injuries early and inconsistency, especially from David Peterson. It's it's you can almost pen in a start that Taiwan Walker will give you six or seven innings with one or two runs. He's truly been amazing. And when it came down to him and Odorizzi in the offseason, I was always secretly hoping for Taiwan Walker because he always had this potential. You know what Jake Odorizzi is. And Taiwan came up as like the top prospect in baseball, flared out a little bit, but then picked it up on the Blue Jays. And he really seems to have found a home here. I could not have more confidence with him on the mound. I also could not have less confidence with him at the plate. Oh, him at the plate. I could do the same thing as him. He stands statue there with the uh, bat on his shoulder, and he can't yeah. even sack bunt. He uh, struck out sack, trying to bunt over a runner. I guess it's better than the uh, opposite. His first start, he uh, got into a double play with runners in scoring position to end the inning. So uh, I guess he's kind of learned from that. But, yeah, uh, the Mets win this game 7-1. Uh, really, really great effort again from the uh, entire team, uh, starting with Walker and ending with the fact that Drew Smith looked really good in the, out of the bullpen of the ninth inning. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about those upcoming series. The Mets fly down to Tampa to play the Rays. Uh, game one is going to be a tough game. It's David Peterson, who I just mentioned, has looked really inconsistent against Tyler Glass now, and Glass now has looked really, really solid for the, uh, for the Rays. Game two, it looks like it's probably going to be a bullpen game, a heavy bullpen game with Joey Lucchese against uh, their rookie Shane McClannan. And then game three, it's Marcus Stroman back on the bump against Ryan Yarbrough. What are you looking forward to in this race series? Is it the continuance of the uh, of the bats, or is it kind of the uh, – to see if the Mets can kind of pitch their way into a couple of victories? Well, a few things. One, I loved having the DH. Mm-hmm. We're really going to put a field out there that's probably our best field in years. We could put Dom Smith at first, and I think Nimmo might come back on the weekend. But regardless, our fielding is going to be fantastic. And Glass knows the ultimate test. He's probably a top five pitcher in the American League. The bullpen's going to have to continue to do well because we can't really expect that many innings out of the Chasey Peterson combo. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing our bats against Glass. Like I said, I thought we turned the corner this weekend, but Glass now is really the ultimate test. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, I think he's doing a rehab assignment in Syracuse tonight. So that kind of bodes well for him to coming off the IL tomorrow. Uh, we still have Khalil Lee up for the injured Almora. So I imagine it would probably be Mazika or Khalil Lee who goes down when Nimmo comes back up. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It will be really good defensively. Uh, Luis Rojas already said that Dom Smith's got to get at least one game at first base this week. Uh, but Pete Alonso's looked good at first, too. I mean, he's obviously not, like, the best defender, but he's made some really, really surprising plays. I know – in 2019, he struggled a lot with kind of ranging too far into that second base hole and not being able to get back to the bag uh, and the pitcher not being able to cover. And I know a lot of singles kind of went that way uh, against the Mets two years ago. But uh, Alonzo's done a lot defensively to kind of sure that up. And Kevin Pillar, too. I know a lot of the metrics over the last two years 
I've said Kevin Pillar hasn't been the same center fielder he was in Toronto back in the early 2010s, but uh, he's looked really solid as well. And this defense looks like it's turning a corner. Conforto looks really good. But yeah, like you said, I'm excited to see what the Mets can kind of do against stiffer competition. I think that the Diamondbacks and Orioles were really good for the Mets to kind of get right. Uh, the Mets struggled. We're 11 and 13 going into that, uh, going to the back half of that Cardinal series. And I think a lot of people were down. We had just fired Chili Davis. Our offense was hadn't put up 60 runs through the first 25 games yet. It was a, uh, it was frankly embarrassing. And uh, I think the Mets have, like you said, have turned the corner, have gotten right, and it's going to be interesting to see how they perform against some pretty decent pitching when it comes to the Rays. Uh, the Rays get G-Man Cho back, I think, this weekend as well. He's been out the entire year. So it'll be interesting to see if the Mets can kind of continue their success. I don't like the fact that they keep having these two-game series in the middle of the week. The same thing happened to the Red Sox because I feel like the Mets are gaining momentum and these off days are kind of pausing it a little bit. So, uh, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you want to say to uh, kind of the Mets fans? I'm worried about James McCann. Yeah. I just think that, look, I've had confidence in like Dom Smith, McNeil, Endura. They're all going to turn around. And I'm really hoping that in a few months from now, we're not, think, we're not regretting not signing JT Real Mudo and we sign James McCann. Because I, I see him at the plate and he just seems lost. And I think a response that Rojas did one day that he's got to keep moving forward is, you got to get McCann out of the eight hole because he doesn't. It's a tough spot when, with the pitcher in the National League because they kind of dance around him. And he's doing. And obviously, Nimmo's too good of a hitter right now. But when Nimmo was in that eighth, eighth spot a few years ago, he took the walks. Mm-hmm. You know, get on base, let the pitcher, let the pitcher work. But McCann is kind of having a tough spot in that. Whether it's man on when it's two outs, you got to. You got to be a little more aggressive, or the zero one out. You got to take your walks there because it's a tough spot, the eighth spot in the National League. But I don't know. I'm worried about him. What do you think? Yeah, I'm looking at his stats right now, and I know James McCann has kind of been like not a career backup, but he hasn't necessarily started a ton of games either. The uh, he played a he played a bit in 2019. Uh, he had 440 at bats, but he hasn't had a season since two, like in his career, which is started in 2014. He was called up, where he's had over 30 walks which kind of goes to what you're saying, high strikeout guy. And when you're not getting the pitches because they're not afraid, you're not getting pitches in the zone and they're not giving you something good because they're not afraid to throw the pitcher. If they walk you, they walk you. And then all of a sudden you have to make a decision on whether you want the pitcher to hit or if the pitcher does hit, you're much less afraid of him than James McCann. Uh, he's, a, he's a hundred strikeout guy. So it is a little concerning. And usually the way his seasons go is he starts off hot and then kind of fades towards like, june and july but that hasn't been the case this year so that is a little nerve-wracking but i guess kind of the mets usually are really good in april and then kind of fade off in june and july and that wasn't the case this year so hopefully it's kind of a uh kind of a, a different different team where you can't really look at things that have happened in years past and you kind of just gotta move forward but I think he's he's a hundred percent a tremendous upgrade over Wilson Ramos from last year. But I agree with you; it is a little concerning the fact that he's batting two hundred, and we just spent we just kind of committed to him for four years. Mm-hmm. Defensively, he's years better than Ramos. And yeah. to be honest, like, I think our one to seven could probably doesn't need the catcher to hit. But obviously, this year it hasn't happened. But that's why I'm very optimistic moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice for the catcher to hit too when. 
like three or four year guys who are originally in that one through seven spots are hurt. You're missing JD Davis, Nimmo. Uh, now McNeil was hurt yesterday. So, uh, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. I don't think I'm like crazy worried yet. I think the whole Mets team was slow to start the season off, but I think I'll give him another two or three weeks. And if he doesn't turn it up, then then I'll start to get on your panic train. Okay. I'll keep your optimism. But I'm also, <laughs> but also for this weekend with Nimmo coming back, I'm going to miss the Alars in the lineup when we get healthy. <laughs> the Alars are, it, it's almost gotten to the point though, where it's like Kevin Pilar has to at least See, the, see, like consistent pitching three or four times a week. He's gotten that good, and like exactly, I, I couldn't agree more. It's it's going to be interesting, especially if somebody like obviously Conforto's turning the corner. Dom Smith was great yesterday, uh, but yeah, I think the defensive lineup of Nimmo's back would be Nimmo and Nimmo or Pilar and left. I don't know. I think Rojas prefers Pilar and left over Nimmo, uh, and then Dom at first. But yeah, I I think the the uh, ELRs or ERs in Jonathan's case uh, have really are kind of the reason why the Mets are on the seven game winning streak. You could directly trace some huge moments back to them throughout these seven games. So I agree with you. And that's kind of, that kind of speaks to the front office a little bit too. The fact that the Mets, the Mets seemingly whiffed on the big names on Trevor Bauer, on Real Muto, on George Springer, who aren't having great seasons in their own rights, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But they did do the major league depth signings that the Wilpons have never done in the past, that Brody had never done in the past. And those signings are playing a bigger role than probably anybody anticipated, especially in May. And they're the reasons why we're winning these games because we're having major – because every at-bat's still competitive. It's not like we have Eric Campbell or Scott Harrison or Mike Baxter or Kirk Neuenheist taking at-bats. We have guys who major league caliber – and have been to the major leagues and have had success in the major leagues and they know how to play baseball. They have high baseball IQs. And that's kind of the reason why the Mets are, are where they are right now. It's the moves that kind of went under the radar, the Jonathan VR move, the Kevin Pillar move. And everybody's like, why would we sign a second center fielder after we signed Almora too? Uh, and it's those moves that are proving to be the moves that are helping us win right now. Yeah, there's no cutting corners with this front office anymore. I agree. Death signings instead of, all it is is Kevin Parr, I think, signed for like two years, seven million. But that thing, three and a half million dollars for an MLB player makes a difference in multiple games, especially with the Mets' entry luck, instead of having unproven quad A, triple A type players. I agree. And uh, even clearly, clearly is in the major league lineup right now. Uh, looked pretty good in this early six, seven games in minor leagues. He's walking a lot. But uh, that's the Mets trade for him for players to be named later. And he immediately becomes their most MLB ready outfield prospect. I think he's their number seven prospect overall. And that's just another move that Joey Lucchese, and I know Lucchese has been great this year, but the fact that he's just eating some innings up and in the uh, case on Saturday or yeah, Friday or Saturday, whenever he pitched against the Diamondbacks, he had three quality innings and that's innings that could have went to anybody else and could have harmed the bullpen. And the Mets kind of hop on that. San Diego Padres deal when Musgrove went from Pittsburgh to San Diego and pretty much got Lucchese for for prospects that we're, we're never going to see the MLB. So a lot of very very good depth moves the Mets made this offseason. They're kind of they're, they're showing uh, showing how fruitful they've been this this early on. Yeah, they're the difference makers right now because the big names besides the big starting pitchers haven't really been there with all the bats. It's all been the depth signing and 
that really makes a difference. It's not just the top five guys, the top 25 guys. I agree. I agree. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Josh, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we, we're definitely going to have to have you on when Ty's back too, because this would be a, this would be a strong lineup. I think there'd be really good conversations to be had. Uh, and hopefully the Mets continued their strong, their strong uh, May so far. So Josh, thanks again. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Mike. Let's go Mets.